passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Matt Jackson ダイシンユニオチコンダダンガン、ケニーの膝。そしてそしてカツギ上げた。ケニーおめがのフィニッシュホールド。片翼の天使。落とせない。落とせない。ケニー。そこはできないか。ケニー。ケニー。ケニー
they were into the big stars. Like it just felt like a great show to go live to. This was a great commercial for the next show. Certainly. I mean, even I would, I would have said that just simply based off of the, the ticket sales off the bat. I mean, I, there's no doubt this is a sought after ticket and you know, this, I, I don't know if I completely agree with you about the crowd though on this show. Certainly like there were moments where they're really great. Maybe, maybe you can kind of like tell me your thoughts on this. I felt like this crowd was trying to mimic a Japanese crowd, meaning, you know, clapping politely at times, but staying quiet the rest of the time. And I think, I, I think that's cool. But Wait, I, was this was this consistent for you, or take out the Jay White match because I think I, that was. I, I would say this for the main event too, for for a big portion of the main event, maybe until you know towards the, the last ten minutes or so. But I, I mean, I, I, I almost felt like the crowd was d- trying to mimic a Japanese crowd too much. Like people weren't sure if we should be cheering right now or if we should be more a bit more quiet and respectful and do the golf clap type of thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the you know what. Tell me what you thought. Uh, I didn't sense that in the main event. I think as well, like that audience, I think they know this is going lengthy. So for the first like 10, 15 minutes of the match, I think a lot of it was just kind of play setting for um, the big crescendo, which was like that final 10 minute stretch where I thought the audience was going crazy for that. And I just thought like there were people on this show that they saw as these larger than life stars and treated them like that. And conversely, there were some that, they didn't see in that same light, which is, I think, one of the reasons that they kind of sat on their hands up until the end of Jay White and Hangman Page that we'll get into. So they didn't see them at that level. Yeah, I found it really interesting how basically, like, all the Japanese talent were over. Like, they, they felt like the biggest stars, obviously, outside of maybe, you know, Kenny and... The, and, and but I, I, I get the sense, like, how that the people that you don't see as often here, people... Like like the Japanese talent, and you know, not necessarily people like Zack Saber Jr., who frequently would wrestle in, in in the U.S. They all were almost treated like you know like bigger deals than than a lot of your, um, you know, more I, more. St- I American I was surprised. Guys. I was surprised Zack wasn't a bigger superstar on this show because I thought he was going to be insane coming off of last week, and on this card, realistically. Toriano was a bigger start to these people just in terms of entrance yeah. for the reaction that they provided each one because and that does not surprise me with Toriano like mm-hmm. that is this guy has a perfect role for these kinds of shows that he is a part of the New Japan presentation that you want to see Toriano absolutely same with Liger you know when you think of New Japan you think of mm, you you think of like a lot of the aesthetics, okay? You think of the ring, you think of, you know, the announcers, you think of uh the twenty counts. And I would say somebody like a Toriano is some something that kind of fits uh, in that whole package. And, and the show wouldn't feel like a new Japan authentic experience without something like him. So for tonight's show, uh it was available on Access TV if you're in the US. Everywhere else in the world, it was on New Japan World. Uh, where you got the commentary of Jim Ross and Josh Barnett, or you had the Japanese commentary. And I ended up watching pretty much the entire show on the Japanese commentary. Oh, did, did you, you go? I well, started. Uh, I what? watched the English commentary. I watched, I watched Barnett and JR. And, I mean, I've I've only been online a little bit since the start of the show. 
or since the end of the show. But JR is being crucified online. Like, a lot of people, are, from what I'm reading, are saying he's not doing, like, he didn't do a good job. And, I mean, I I, I've, I don't regularly watch the Access show. Uh, I've, I've seen the Long Beach shows um, from last year, and I've watched a bit of his Access stuff. And I have to agree with most of the sentiment right now. The, the standard is just simply so much higher. And there were a lot of moments that I feel like JR didn't nail. And, uh, um, you know, it still was a great show. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and all of all the respect in the world to somebody like a Jim Ross, but for a new Japan pro wrestling product, um, maybe it demands a bit more at this time. Yeah. And this was kind of similar to the last series of long beach shows where, uh, going into it, I don't think people knew if Kevin Kelly and Don Callis were going to be utilized or not. Uh, they were there. They were there doing a pre-show and a post-show, and they were in California this week. And on the New Japan Cup final, Don Callis even jokes to Kevin saying, are we booked on that show uh, on Sunday? Mm-hmm. And Kevin Kelly basically said that uh, he didn't know, and apparently they were not. And for Kevin Kelly, this guy just spent three weeks in Japan for the New Japan Cup. He has flown all the way back to the U.S. not to go home. But to go to California for a weekend, and this week, we'll now have to fly all the way back to Japan because they've got Sakura Genesis next weekend. And he, for all I know, he may be doing the uh, the Friday show as well for all intents and purposes. So uh, for Kevin Kelly, my God. He should just move to Japan. Well, at the very least, I mean, can can I just stay in Japan for the extra week rather than make this trip to California for a pre and post show and calling some dojo matches. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, I mean, you're at this point, you're talking about, you know, TV rights, things that they probably have no control over. This was, I would say, you know, from start to finish a fully full access production that didn't, it, it really didn't look that close to a new Japan show that you would see on like a new Japan world. Like, you know, the venue was obviously different. The lighting was different. Uh, I think the camera work and the direction was different as well. So, and the video package were, packages were different. Some of these differences, I think, were positives, um, but it was a slightly varied in, in production than what you typically get. I think that for New Japan World's sake, I feel that there should be a distinction between the two. And I feel that th- there is going to be an audience that is just Jim Ross and Josh Barnett are not their cup of tea. And I think there's others that are newer to the product who Mm. Jim Ross is that familiar voice that they do want to hear him. And I'm, I'm not as critical of Jim Ross. I didn't really listen to the English commentary on this show to really judge. Um, I I didn't, I don't know from watching his access shows. Like I'm, I'm fine with the commentary, but I can see, um, people that are maybe more invested in the product that Mm -hmm. like Jim Ross is not an expert uh, when it comes to new Japan pro wrestling, like he is calling WWE. Mm -hmm. So for me with new Japan world, I would want my own broadcasters on there, not for the sole reason of appeasing maybe a more hardcore fan base, but as well, if I'm on new Japan world, I don't want my commentators plugging access. I want to be directing everyone to next Sunday. 
it's a major show next weekend. Mm -hmm. And Access isn't going to be promoting that on their broadcast because the Sakura Genesis matches aren't airing on Access for five or six weeks from now. So they are not going to be... You're you're trying to do two different things. Uh, And I I, I think that there should be more of a line in the sand between the two because New Japan World's interests on a show like this are different than Access TV's. But now you're talking about... You're suggesting that they have two different crews, and and that is just probably a bit more of a headache than it's worth, just to simply appease two audiences who might prefer one co- one set of commentators over another. You know, no, but I, but I'm saying there's other reasons for it, like business reasons for it, like just as well, like you want to be promoting stuff on New Japan World. If you're watching the show on New Japan World, you probably know about Sakura Genesis. Like, is that worth having Don Callis and and, and Kevin Kelly do another set of? audio by take get another set of audio equipment and have have directors cues to another set of people all that stuff just just to do that i th- i think that you want to be broadcasting to people that may be newer viewers to this as you're expanding as like there's a major show next sunday and it wasn't touched on tonight was it you're right yeah i mean that really wasn't the the focus they didn't really drive people to new japan world but again the people watching this on access are going to hear Jim Ross and, and Josh Barnett. Your casuals are going to hear Jim Ross and Josh Barnett, so they wouldn't be driven to New Japan World anyway. Well, uh, you can um, chime in throughout this uh, if you want to add any of the uh, the commentary notes uh, throughout okay. this. Yeah, I mean, let, let me just say, like, I, I yep. feel like Jim Ross has improved from previous. Like, I don't, I didn't catch any like big name mess ups, but I. Th- I just feel like there are a lot of maybe storyline points that he wasn't as uh, up to speed on. I'm not saying I'm even up to speed on on a lot of the intricacies, but I think a a play-by-play commentator has to know more than your audience. And Mm -hmm. and if there are plenty of people in your audience that know things that the commentator is not pointing out, then I don't think you're the right person for the job. I mean, your, your fans, you know, want to hear... The, the the wrestlers intended storylines c- carried across in the commentary and i feel like especially maybe you know i'm not saying it ruined anything for me but um i it seemed like for a lot of people that was a sticking point so the show began uh apparently i was hearing from some people where this walter pyramid that sold out so quickly had one entrance to get into so there were there was one enormous line to get into this thing and the photos outside of this building prior to the start looked uh super fun to be in the middle of out oh, in the yeah. ca- california sun yeah but by the time the show started it seemed pretty yeah pretty i mean bad. this wasn't a case of like a wrestlemania where it was starting and half the arena was empty i mean they they got everybody in. Yeah. Before you get to the first match, I want to say uh, they, they had a really well-produced video package. I imagine this to be an Access production as well. Uh, very slick. All in English. Tells you exactly what you need to know for all the main storylines. Uh, just very well-produced well and uh, with a lot of focus. Especially, well, obviously this card was largely built around their foreign talent. Namely, you know, um, uh, Hangman Page and, and Jay White and, of course, the Elite. So, um Great storytelling in those video packages for those main events. What did you think about the, uh, u- utilizing the the English in ring announcer? Because I think you should just give the authentic experience. They had Japanese though. They had they had like at least for the ring ring announcements, like the entrance announcements. They had the Japanese guy, but um, I feel did, okay. I, I understand what you're saying. 
have English announced, like have the Japanese announcers there. Uh, I feel like that's almost too much. Like, <laughs> like you're trying too hard to be authentic. Why not have Japanese signs on the on the doors? You know, like what? At some point, at some point, you just have to cater to your audience somehow, right? I think that is catering to them. Like, I think this is an audience that wants to feel as though they're in Tokyo because they can't get to Tokyo. This right. is the New Japan experience. Um, but but I, again, I just feel like it's it's uh, it's unnecessary. Talking- like, I don't think any fan would have been upset if it was just strictly uh, Japanese introductions. Like, right. I I don't think. You but, even have to worry about that. But you all, you also have to worry about access as well. They're not going to, you know, casuals watching this are going to be like, what's going on, right? Um, and no matter what, no matter how hard you try, it's not going to be Japan. You know, you can try as close as you can to, to, to get to it as close as you can, but it's not going to be Korokuen. First matchup was Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky taking on Rapongi 3K and Rocky Romero and... Right from the onset, the crowd was chanting Rapongi at show and yo. And uh, something that was definitely concerning was Kazarian. Uh, this was the focus of the match. He was leaping off of the second turnbuckle to hit a leg drop and slipped on the rope and immediately grabbed his knee after landing and tagged out instantly, but then tagged right back in as though he was showing himself that he was fine. Mm-hmm. And he did continue here. It wasn't as though he was um, had no use of his knee. But as the match progressed, you could see this guy was having a lot of problems with this knee and eventually just had to take himself out on the floor as the match finished with uh, Sho and Yo hitting the 3K to Scorpio Sky and Sho getting the pin at 11 minutes and 3 seconds. The way he was favoring it so much made me feel like maybe this was, you know, it, it was just a worked, you know, planned injury. Um, but I guess it didn't necessarily play into anything in the finish, so perhaps there is some cause for concern. It was like a legitimate slip. Like, I don't mm. think that would have been something you'd work in where, right. um, I don't know, it, it looked like he did something to his knee. Hopefully nothing severe. That guy's scheduled for a ladder match in two weeks oh, at the Supercard of Honor show. So yeah. um, let, let me just say, uh, I you know, it's... it's really nice that wrestling crowds by this point seem to have evolved beyond the you fucked up chant. Where I mean that happened, and I was expecting this crowd to to chant "You fucked up," but this was a respectful crowd. In it's, fact, I think like we start to feel bad for wrestlers who screw up now. Yeah, that's that's why part of me, as everyone looks at this Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns uh, match for WrestleMania, and while I think you could draw uh, a negative reaction from people, I just think that the audience as a whole is just much more polite than they were in 2004 that I don't know maybe maybe I'm just being uh too optimistic about this but I agree with you in the sense that this is an audience that I think is they're not there to to shit on guys and when they do get like to boo someone like a Roman Reigns it's almost like it's part of the entertainment in it they're not there to ruin a match well like especially like now I feel like audiences and I think this goes for so many different art forms you audiences have such a different relationship with creators now where we feel like we know creators. And I, I mean, I'm speaking, you know, on our behalf, talking about our show, doing what we do, but especially like in the case of people like the bucks or even like in this case of Frankie Kazarian, you feel like you, you want to see this artist achieve his art. And if he happens to slip his paintbrush, 
then you're disappointed just as much as you know he is because you want him to to create this perfect painting if a, if an artist on the street happens to like you know fuck up something like that you're not going to chant you fucked up you fucked up that would be rude who who would do that i would click on that video though if it was <laughs> online but like uh you know i think in the past maybe because so much of the relationship between a wrestler and an audience is that the wrestler is trying to trick the audience and you're not supposed to know that I'm, I'm faking all this stuff. If you catch me slipping and if you catch me, you know, uh, breaking my character, then it's the audience's chance to say, Hey, I'm, I'm peeking behind the curtain. I see what you're trying to do. Now we all know what you're trying to do. And in fact, we want to help you do, we want to see you achieve your perfect, you know, whatever magic trick or, 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 or painting or whatever. So, uh, Access TV, part of uh, what they were doing tonight was that they were not going to interrupt any of the matches with commercials. So this is all airing on New Japan World, which meant that the announcers' mics were hot as this match ended. And Josh Barnett gave his assessment of the match uh, that <laughs> they needed to get out of the fucking ring. Otherwise, it was okay. What did he mean by that? Get out of the fucking ring. Like what? Yeah, what what exactly do you do you think he meant? Well, I think we picked up uh, him like mid thought here, so oh, I don't okay. know the exact context of maybe maybe he wanted to see some uh, some brawling on the floor or something. Okay. I have no idea, but uh, th- there was some honesty from a wrestler. Yeah, otherwise it was okay. I thought, yeah, I thought the match was just like you know, kind of your standard six man um, fine opener. Yeah, yeah, it was just you know the Not crowd was bad, hot, but nothing special. But you know, maybe there's something to the to the cast injury that changed things. Hiroki Goto and Gato took on Juice Robinson and David Finley. Uh, in record time, Goto's mouth was busted open from Robinson elbowing him. And Goto then suplexed Finley on top of Juice, which led to a chant of Goto, which is a rarity. Uh, Robinson and Gato. That's ex- the other thing, too, though, John. It's like, yeah, that's rare in Japan. But here, because we rarely see somebody like a Hiroki Goto. Like he feels like a big deal. It's like when Pride Stars used to used to come over from the UFC. They have they have this aura about them that we never get to see them, and therefore they feel like well, bigger stars. Well, then Goto should wrestle here exclusively because that <laughs> that aura comes around once a year at the Tokyo Dome, and then it's gone for the rest of the year. Uh, Robinson and, and Gato exchanged eye pokes, and then Goto landed the Ushigoroshi to Finley, and Gato followed with a kick to the face. Robinson encountered an Ushigoroshi, hit a full Nelson slam, and it ended with Finley hitting the Prima Nocta stunner to Ghetto and pinned him at 725. And they are building up to Juice Robinson and Goto, which I think is going to happen on Sunday for the never openweight championship after Robinson pinned him last week. Uh, but here they went with David Finley pinning Gato. And uh, I guess that would make sense a bit later why they're kind of putting some spotlight on David Finley. Mm-hmm. I thought Juice looked really good. To me, he definitely felt like the star of this match. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to think of him in like that type of um, brawling type of type of role, but I guess the Never Championship is not necessarily that anymore. Um, but yeah, I think he's cool. I think he's cool. He's he's doing well. Yeah, uh, this match was kind of just there. Um, I don't know. It didn't really stand out a whole lot to me. Up next, oh, by the way, Juice was walking to the back, and a fan uh, poured beer down his throat, and he alerted the cameras that he is in fact twenty one, so he can be drinking. 
The Killer Elite Squad took on Toriano, the superstar Toriano, and Chucky T. And this audience went nuts for Yano, and Chucky got a pretty big response as well, given uh, where they were. Uh, Killer Elite Squad just jumped them at the start of the match. Smith is in outstanding shape. This guy's like 250 pounds, and he is... Has he ever not been, though? I I think, like, he's... Um, He's just gotten a lot more cut of late. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's just um I just think he's on much of a much more strict diet now. Mm-hmm. He just is like extremely ripped for a two hundred and fifty pound man here. Uh he applied a lion tamer to Chucky as they beat him down. Uh they went for a heart attack, which Chucky ducked the clothesline and then hit a DDT to Smith. This was the most impressive counter I've ever seen to the heart attack. In fact, I think it's the only counter I've ever seen to the heart attack. It was quite nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I wonder if, if they got that from somewhere, if that was uh, an original creation. Yeah, it was actually quite perfect. Uh, maybe maybe uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr., he's always had this one in, the, in his back pocket, and he thought, you know what? Chucky e. T, third match on the card in Long Beach, this is the night to do it. Mm-hmm. Audience just loved Yano. They wanted to see all his signature spots, leaning in the ropes, going for the low blow. So at one point, Archer tries to scare Yano away to leave, and he teases that he's going to. And then Chucky takes out Archer and Smith with a dive. And then Yano teases a dive. But instead of jumping over the top rope, which just I can't even compute in my head of that happening with that man. He just ran to the corner, took off the turnbuckle padding. And it got as big a reaction as if he had done a fucking corkscrew over the top to the floor. I would say probably, yeah, well, he's not doing that. But yeah, if you, like... <laughs> It, it it got just as big of a reaction, if not bigger reaction, than somebody else doing a, a, a something like a corkscrew plancha type of thing. And credit to them for like, you know, crafting that spot to to elicit that type of reaction because they recognize this audience's love for Tor- Toriano and and all of his signature spots, and they really built built up to them really well. All these aspiring wrestlers that are going to watch a show like this and they want to be the next Kenny Omega or Nick Jackson. Comedy is where it's at, man. Oh, dude. I would want to be Toriano. I would be Toriano a hundred times before I'd want to be Kenny Omega. I'm going to have a spot for life and I'm more over than half this roster by taking a turnbuckle pad off. And that's it. And I spend my whole day thinking of wacky shit I can do that is going to get a chuckle out of people. That is going to be amplified when I cross an ocean to go do the exact same joke. The thing is, though, everybody, every aspiring wrestler probably wants to main event WrestleMania. And a comedy act is not going to main event WrestleMania. Are you okay with that, John? 100%. 100%. I want to be, I, I want to be an alternate in the G1. Don't even put me in. I just want to be doing six-minute comedy matches. And I and I can do this till I'm 75 if I want to. You should even put on a body mask and a and a suit. Yeah, then you'll work it until you're 90. Hey, when you went to when you went to Japan, way of all the shirts you could have bought me, what was the one you picked out? I never asked for a shirt. <laughs> Actually, that was under the recommendation of uh, one Jojo Remy. Okay, well there you go. I must give off a vibe then. So anyway, they hit the killer bomb on Chucky. And Archer pinned him. I I thought this was a fun match. It was and fun. I, I enjoyed the, it because of the crowd's love for Yano. And I thought Lance Archer played the perfect bully, serious, tough guy to react off of Yano's comedy. 
Like I, I, I think Lance Archer is really good. He, you know, he's just like a great asshole, and um, I think very charismatic too in what he does. Um, I just got a text from Mike. They're in the car, and they okay. said they could. Do you want to just do it now, where it's um? Sure. I'm not even they... going to cut this out. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna leave all this in. What? Who are we calling exactly? Uh, we're. <laughs> We're calling Dan Lebransky in, wow. in in a car in Long Beach, California. Joining us now here on the line, all the way from Long Beach, California, the man who traveled many, many miles to see Sunday night's strong style evolved card. He is Dan Lebransky joining us here. Mouth, what a show you just watched. <laughs> John, I don't I don't even know where to start, man. Uh, that was fantastic. Obviously, uh a uh, contender for a show of the year, and obviously the main event, a contender for match of the year. It was just absolutely astounding, and I have to say one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had live at a pro wrestling show. Now, take us back to the beginning of the night. What was the process like getting into the building? <laughs> well, I'll compare it to the PWG show to, that we went to two nights earlier, and even though there was a ton of people there, getting them into the building was actually done uh, quite efficiently. How, how long did you have to wait before getting in? It, it wasn't that bad way. We, I mean, the line was long. It went all it went all the way around the actual Walter uh, Pyramid. But uh, once it got moving, they were very quick and very efficient in getting everybody in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the doors opened around three thirty. The show started at five, and they pretty well had everybody in mm-hmm. and in their seats uh, by the time the show started. Now, of course, other things inside the merch table, the concession stands, there was huge lines for those. But by five o'clock, everybody was in the building. What was the merchandise like that they had brought over? Were they well stocked? No. You know oh. what? No. Um, why was there no Golden Lovers t-shirt? Mm. Yeah, those were nice shirts that they came out with for the main event. I thought for sure they'd be selling those. That, it was it was really weird, John. They had they had you know the Lij shirts. They had a special shirt for this event. Um, they had they had Bullet Club shirts. They had some Michael Elgin shirts, which no one seemed to be touching. And uh, yeah, and they, but really they didn't have the selection that I thought they would have, right? I, uh, it, it was it was definitely not what I thought it would be in terms of the merch. But they didn't have a lot of copies of the stuff that they did have. There were stacks of them, so people were buying it. We should let people know that that, that voice is Mike, who is uh, a friend of all of us who went to the show with uh, Dan. So, uh, hey, so... Th- th- this call is also brought to you by Mike's cell phone because... Uh, that would be our only way to get a hold of a uh, mouth. Yeah. I, I wanted Got to. Add, it. Did you? Did you technology wise. <laughs> did you guys get a chance to talk to many people down there? I'm, I'm just kind of curious to know, like, if there are any people that traveled from afar, or, if, or if main, mainly their their locals. Uh, we ran into a, a son and his mom at PWG show. They were from Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tonight I got the impression tonight that most of the the people were locals. Uh, I I didn't really hear anybody talking like they had been they had traveled a long distance um there was only only a couple that i talked to no one 
no one traveled as far as we did, I don't think. It seemed that, uh, you know, among the biggest reactions of the night, perhaps the biggest uh, was Minoru Suzuki's entrance, which sounded like a religious experience for some of the people that were in there. Well, it was it was for me, John, of course. That was one of the, the highlights for me. Uh, yeah, the, the reason they – because he took so much time coming out, you know, they, Zach Sabre Jr. came out first, and he was really in the ring just kind of waiting it. Suzuki milked it for all it was worth. And once you did see him come out of the corner, uh, boy, oh, boy, yeah, the whole the whole place just went crazy. The, the crowd really, really, really enjoyed that match, the tag match, and I felt really bad for Jay White and Adam Page yes. having to follow that match because that crowd was tired. They were worn out after that match. And then, of course, the main event was coming afterwards. So, you know, if that match had been, say, second or third, that crowd probably would have went a lot, would have been a lot more enthusiastic. But I think they were really tired after the tag match. Were, were you guys surprised by the reaction to people like a Toriano? It was, it, was, it was insane. It was the funniest thing. It was great. That's the thing about the crowd that goes to these shows. They know all the guys. They watch all the guys. And, like, not you know, Yano's huge. Naito. Naito, the play, Naito had almost one of the biggest pops of the night. He continues to be one of their most over guys in the promotion in Japan and here. Like, his, his re, the reaction for him was just crazy. But, yeah, even guys like Yano, they, they loved him. They were laughing at all his gags, like, they just, they just absolutely – I don't think New Japan could do anything wrong for this crowd. They loved everything. They were they were hot right from the very beginning of the night. It was, like, the craziest crowd I think I've been to a show with. Like, I was I was reminded of, like, the Hogan and Rocky. Yeah, like, yeah. Wow. Insane. I know it's a small crowd, but, like, so passionate and, like, loving everything. It was unbelievable. Yeah, I – I don't know how the main event came across on television or on New Japan World, but that crowd was just insane, stomping their feet, yelling and screaming. Like, literally, the floor would shake when people would stomp their feet. It was, it was unbelievable. John, like, watching this, did, you, did it come across that way to you, watching it on, on New Japan or New Japan World? Because I, I don't know if that level of, of reaction came across to me. Uh Maybe not like deafening on television, but I mean they they were really into that match. Like I th- I thought sure yeah, but not Rock yeah. Hogan level I would say. But uh, anyway, oh oh no way it was. Yeah, I was at WrestleMania, and it seriously, Mike and I were talking about it. That was the only thing that we could remember. I can't think of anything. Not even like WrestleMania six with Hogan and the Warrior was there that kind of reaction. Like this this crowd, they know all the guys, they know the story. Plus, of course, the storytelling in that main event was, like, mm-hmm. literally fantastic. You know, anybody that wants to say the Young Bucks at this point in their career are just spot monkeys, like, forget it. These guys are talented. They're great storytellers. The storytelling in that match was fantastic. The thing for me is no one in that arena needed commentary. Mm-hmm. No one needed to hear JR. No one needed to hear Kevin Kelly. No one in that arena needed commentary. They told the story so well that everybody knew what was happening. 
I guess about looking at just how big the demand was for this show, selling out as quick as they did. Uh, they booked the Cow Palace now for July the 7th, which roughly holds about 11,000 or so people. And I've got to imagine a lot of people are going to be optimistic that they can come close to that figure. I mean, this is truly going to tell you what the ceiling is for fans that are traveling. Yeah, well, you know what, John? I think they have the potential to do it. Now, I'm, I'm not sure what the actual legit capacity is for the pyramid tonight. It looked to us about maybe 4,000 or so. Well, when they, they sold the first weekend, when they filled all their seats, they had sold just over 4,700, and I think that they had kept some back. So it's probably right around 5,000 that was there tonight. Okay, well... I mean, those, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people, I mean, especially if you're in this area to go from, you know, here in Long Beach to go to San Francisco, yeah, you have to go up the state, but I still think, I mean, just by based on the intensity and the lines for the merchandise and stuff, I, I think they could probably pull it off. And plus knowing that it's a bigger venue, more people like us would probably take it on to travel because there's more of a chance they could get a ticket for it. Right. Would you say this is the best show you've ever gone to for both of you? It's it's up there, John. It, it's really it, yeah. I probably yeah. I mean, for me, obviously, you know, I've been watching New Japan since the nineties. I've always kind of wanted to go to one, and yeah, it was it was everything that I it wanted and more because it was just so intense and just everybody was so smart and just new and there's you know no really silly chants and everybody was just really into the drama of the matches even the simple stuff you should have heard the pop ray mysterio got when he came out to just cut a promo you know people were people were in love with that the fact that he just came out and said you know i can't wrestle but i'll come back and wrestle again the place went crazy I wanted to ask you guys as well about PWG on Friday night, especially the fact that they ran a different venue, which just seeing photos of it looked like a superior setup by leaps and bounds from the American Legion post. I would say probably. I mean, it was a neat, it was a neat space for sure. The, uh, but the kind of like the way they set you up to get into that building is just, or I guess for all their shows, it's just crazy. Everyone talks about the lineups and having to sit for hours. And it's like, in this day and age, I don't understand how they can or still do shows like that. Yeah, it was it was a you know it was a fun experience, but I I did not like having to wait in line for an hour and a half to get in. That really kind of uh, tempered my spirit, and uh, you know it was it's good. Some of the sight lines weren't the best in in the place, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, but the thing is, much like New Japan. Their fans love that product. Like, yeah. they're loyal fans. They love it. Again, it doesn't really seem to matter uh, what they do. Uh, it, it, to me, it was a good show. I wouldn't call it a blow-out-of-the-water fantastic show. And, in fact, the match that I liked the most seems to not even be the one that uh, most people dug. I I really loved Matt Riddle and uh, Sabre. I thought uh-huh. that match was real. That, to me... That was the match of the night. I really, really enjoyed the way they worked together. But a lot of people liked the Osprey match a lot better. Did you get the sense that a lot of the people at, at PWG had like followed the New Japan Cup? I mean, it, it didn't seem like it was a blow-away reaction for Zach tonight at 
in Long Beach? Uh, was that different on, on Friday when he came out? Because that, to me, was a really big, big career changer for him. I think the reaction that he got tonight was the same as the PWG fans. Like, there was a lot of the same chance tonight as there was from the PWG shows. But I don't know if that came across, mm-hmm. where they chant his name along the lines of, like, uh, a White Stripes song, right? Right. And yeah. he was in the building super over. I would say even more than Okada. Oh, wow. But I it's... think that's because he's had such a presence in this town. Yeah, people, last year, people right? hey, even Chucky e. T tonight. Right, Chuck Taylor got a pretty big pop when he came out too. Again, because people around here are more familiar with him, right? He just he just lost the PWG title on uh, Friday. Well, guys, uh, I want to thank you very much uh, for popping on here to give us the the live perspective. Uh, it was a, an incredible show to watch, and I can't imagine uh, being there live for it. Uh, on top of that, uh, when do you guys get back to the city? Do you have any remaining plans in uh, in LA? Try to find some food tonight. It's, uh, it's a little sleepy in Long Beach. Um, in and out. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, maybe you, maybe you'll run into Taguchi at a In and Out Burger. We were just that was we were that, that. that was hilarious when he came out with that hat on. Yeah, that was that was really funny. Again, it just shows you like everybody. Nobody saw that stuff as silly. Nobody went, "Oh, that's goofy." Like everybody, anything they did, everybody. Everybody loved it. And I have to say, I really liked the way, the subtle way they did the angles, the stuff with Cody, the stuff with um, uh, David Finley and Jay White, the stuff with Mysterio and Liger and, and, and the villain and all that. I just thought that whole thing with, with those guys in the junior thing, they, they, they made like three or four matches, tag matches, singles matches, just out of that little bit that they did in that show. And I just thought once again, you know, the, Proof that the simple, the better sometimes is what is what works with people. But there was no ultimate deletion on this show. I mean, that would have maybe put it over the top. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> don't even don't even get me started on that, John. We don't we don't have enough time to cover that, man. <laughs> well, uh, like a live watch with Dan with that one. That'll that'll be great. <laughs> So bad. I don't know how many times I've heard about the ultimate deletion on this trip. Oh, so bad. <laughs> well, guys, have a great rest of the trip, and uh, thanks a lot for uh, for popping on here for a few minutes. Okay, guys, talk to you later. So there you go, way we got the unexpected uh, arrival of Dan Lebransky and Mike. Yeah, his his driver slash phone man. Yeah, Mike. So we move on to Cody and Marty Skrull against the Gorillas of Destiny. Do you, do you want to spell gorillas? G U E R I L L A S. Okay. That's how I've been spelling it my entire life, okay? Yeah. Every single time. And I found out this weekend through Pro Wrestling Gorilla and the Gorillas of Destiny that there are two R's in there. Oh. Now, the thing is that on uh, Microsoft Word, it will not. I, I imagine one R is an accepted spelling of it, maybe, because it doesn't underline it for you as it's a spelling mistake. So all these years, I have been spelling this word incorrectly, and now I feel like an idiot. Yeah, I, I've been screwing it up, too. I, I don't have to write it too often, though. So, Well, I do. So maybe it's just going to be PWG from, that, from now on. Yeah. That'll be it. Anyway, that was the big revelation of this show. Cody came out. 
and this audience, I don't even want to say hated him. It almost felt like it was, they know this is the guy that we are to boo, mm-hmm. and they booed him very loudly. Um, well, loudly to me. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe you just felt... No, don't get me wrong. Like They were <laughs> loud, but like I felt like during the matches, they they were like being polite. Yeah, I mean... The biggest reactions I heard were mainly, like, entrances and reacting mm-hmm. to stars. And I would say, like, the closing sequences of certain matches. Um, uh, that's where it hit me the most. Yeah. Um, Cody came out, said, the Bullet Club is fine. What isn't fine is the booking of this match. There will be no match because they're all friends. And Cody said that the Gorillas, or at least Tamatonga, made the Bullet Club popular to begin with. And it's wrestlers like him that make it popular today. And all of them are part of Team Cody. And he hands over the mic. Tangaloa says that they are not going to deny the people this match. And if they are on a team, it's not Team Cody. I don't know if I have ever heard uh, Tangaloa cut a pro wrestling promo before with a microphone. Yeah, I don't know if I have either. I mean, I've I've heard him. This certainly I've heard felt him... like it was him taking his first swing at one of these promos. Well, I've heard, I've heard him yell things in the ring in English. Yeah. That's um, a that's a big leap to having to say prepared words into a device. Yeah, I didn't think anyway. he was. Yeah, he was fine. Well, the match began after Cody knocked Loa to the floor, and Brandy rescued Cody, pulling him to the floor, and it caused uh, Tamatonga to be distracted, and Skrull nailed him from the apron. Skrull was setting up for the chicken wing when Cody blind tagged in and was going to hit the crossroads, but Tamatonga countered it with a spinning neck breaker. And then later, Cody teased the Terminator dive, but was cut off by Tangaloa. And then Cody shoved Loa into Tonga and caught Loa with the crossroads for the win at 10 minutes and 52 seconds. Um, I thought that the audience was into, in particular, Cody and Marty and Brandy. Um, they saw them as stars. Uh, but this tag match, it was kind of like the wrestling was, I wouldn't even say secondary here. It just seemed it was, it was like, just get to whatever's going to be coming after this. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I didn't really have too many thoughts about the match itself, but I mean, I felt like this was more about uh, the story. Um, yes. And, and I felt like the, the prelude to the match, I thought was very strong. I think like. Cody's um, great. Like, Cody is great. Oh, he's doing at... some of the best work of his entire career right now. Uh, so he definitely, like, he definitely feels like top heel right now. Um, at least, like, on the American side of things, on the English-speaking side of things, he definitely feels like one of the hottest heels in professional wrestling. Uh, and I thought Marty's comedy was was really strong here as well. Um, and I what what I think I like about a lot of this is that Every member of the Bullet Club has his own stance on this issue between Kenny and Cody. And you can understand everybody's mentality. It's not just a blanket thing where, you know, the leader goes one way and everybody else goes there too. It's it's a bit more layered and you understand, you know, why why Tamatonga might feel one way. And, and you know, not everybody agrees to, and everybody kind of has their own stance. So I think it's uh, it, it was more of a match about all that stuff, less so about the match itself. It is funny how you go back to the origins of the Bullet Club and one of the, I would say around like 2014 people were getting very critical that it's these you know these NWO knockoffs and to imagine that when WCW was at their apex 
if they had been able to split the NWO with a fraction of the storytelling that they have incorporated here, mm-hmm. like think of how they split up the NWO into two factions and how awful that thing turned out. Mm-hmm. Could you have imagined the legs WCW would have had if they just had competent storytelling at that time? Mm-hmm. If they had people like, and these, there's not some big staff behind this. This is just a group of guys that are wrestling fans that have thought this stuff out. It's amazing. That's usually the best stuff. It's when it's a group of small, like, passionate people that have probably lived through, you know, what you, a lot of people making mistakes doing similar things. Um, but now, yeah, really, I would say, like, more so than anything involved, like, from New Japan, I feel like so much of this is the work of a Cody, Kenny, you know, uh, Nick and Matt. Like, they're the writers here, and they're doing a fantastic job. Eight-man tag was next. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kushida, Dragon Lee, and Ryusuke Taguchi take on Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi. And this was where Taguchi came out wearing a hat from In-N-Out Burger. And this place went nuts for Naito and Hiromu Takahashi in particular. Uh, The match began with Tanahashi and Naito, and the crowd was electric seeing these two. But before they could lock up, Sonata attacked Tanahashi. And they seem to be teasing something between those two uh, coming out of this. Dragon Lee was tagged in with Takahashi, and they exchanged these big chops. Lee hit a German off the ropes, and then there was a Topekon hero to the floor onto Takahashi. And then Dragon Lee gave the middle finger to Naito. And that was kind of the only interaction we got from Takahashi and Dragon Lee. Mm -hmm. Enough to leave you uh, satisfied of their interaction when there were... Eight bodies in this particular match. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonata tied up Kushida in the Paradise Lock. Then Bushi choked him with a T-shirt. And Kushida is battling to his corner. He finally gets there, but everyone's on the floor, so he can't tag out. Eventually, Taguchi comes in with hip attacks. They did this uh, triple submission spot uh, involving Taguchi, Kushida, and uh, Tanahashi all applying submissions. And then everyone is down after a series of moves. Naito and Takahashi double-teamed Taguchi, and it ended with the uh, Destino, and Naito pinned Taguchi at 12 minutes, 14 seconds. I thought a good match. Probably not uh, much different from your typical New Japan undercard multi-man matches, but these felt special because they're being seen by a crowd that's that doesn't always get to see them, and for a lot of people in that crowd, probably seeing them for the first time. So it was really nice to see guys like you know Lij as a group get such a huge reaction because to me they definitely do feel like the top stable in the company right now. Yeah, this was. There were a lot of stars in the match that were not going to go out there and kill themselves for this eight-man tag where the audience, they just want to see these stars. And I think mm-hmm. that Naito and Tanahashi, they worked the perfect amount for an eight-man tag, and the audience was happy with it. Mm-hmm. Then Rey Mysterio comes out. Big reaction for the surprise appearance by Rey. He apologizes for getting hurt. Oh, but first, he gets onto the microphone, and he says, What's up? New Japan World. Yeah. And my only thought was that he maybe has been stuck in the WWE universe Mm -hmm. for so long that he assumes this is the equivalent. Like, this is New Japan World is, like, the audience. It's within the universe. It's just one area of the universe. Did you catch what his follow-up interaction was with this crowd? Booyaka. No. Konichiwa. Oh. 
That's Buyaka in Japanese. <laughs> so he apologizes for tearing his bicep. The audience, I hope, forgave him. And he says this does not mean that the match with Jushin Thunder Liger is never happening. He says he will come back. He gives you his word that once he is ready, he will come back into this ring and wrestle for New Japan and makes a promise right there. And I think a lot of people were surprised by this. A very definitive statement by Rey Mysterio that he's going to do a match with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I thought it was a nice little appearance. I mean, I think the appeal of seeing, you know, somebody we know inside a New Japan environment, much in the same way, you know, that we experienced with Chris Jericho earlier this year, is is interesting. It's attractive, you know? So I feel like there's definitely... Um, well, he's going to be on the next show, so it, 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 I think it's it's a great fit. It's been a while since I've heard Ray speak on a microphone, and I felt here he sounded far more confident and natural than in his uh, last WWE form. Yeah, and if you assume he's on that July card, I mean, that kind of rules out uh, mm-hmm. at least a, a return to the WWE in the near future. Mm-hmm. And I would use him for the San Francisco card. I would not use Ray in Japan for something prior to that. I think that he would be best served on that San Francisco card. Mm-hmm. Will Ospreay taking on Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, they didn't even make really any big deal out of the junior heavyweight title in this. I think everyone just, it, it was almost like this was a, uh, I don't want to say exhibition, but it was like the title was like not even part of this yeah. um, whole presentation. Uh, these two have had three prior singles matches before. Ospreay's won all of them. Uh, Osprey attacked Liger's arm early on and they went to the floor and there was this awesome count out tease where Osprey was suplexed onto the floor and he was like still trying to get his footing when they counted 19 and he just bolted into the ring. This is how you do a count out tease way. We, I feel like I see so many of these like on every new Japan show, but there, you know, I, I do appreciate a lot of them because there's a, there's a real skill involved to do. And they're, and they're, they're coming off the tournament where they did two count out finishes. So Mm -hmm. it's at least they do enough of them that it's plausible. Um, and it makes the, and having a 20 count just so much more dramatic for some reason. Yeah. I like, I, I like, I wouldn't think that such a small change would change something that normally, you know, in WWE American wrestling, a 10 count is just like nothing. Like I don't even think about it as any type of dramatic moment, but in new Japan, like it's, it's, it's a, almost like a, a traditional spot. Liger attempted a top rope hurricane Rana with Osprey landing on his feet and then hit the space flying tiger drop. And then Osprey selling his leg. So he hits this one legged springboard into the ring where he never puts the weight of his right foot onto the top rope. I thought that was cool. cool. Yeah. Um, Then he teased doing a 619 for the easy heat, and uh, Liger got out of the way. Uh, Osprey hit the Robinson special, attempted the os cutter, but it was caught, and Liger hit him with a brain buster for this near fall. And they go to count three on the brain buster, and this director cuts away as they're going for the pinfall off this incredible near fall. And this was like several Mm -hmm. awkward cuts, which... I will take the uh, seizure cutting on Raw any day over this cutaway during a dramatic near fall spot. Like, this happened, like, two or three times on this show. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was certainly one of the other, uh, I think, big qualms people had with the production on this show. Um, it it made me wonder like how familiar the director was with wrestling prior to doing the show. Had to be none. Like yeah, that's maybe. just so that's just so elementary on a near fall. Why would you cut away? Like there, that's almost. I, I don't even think like a non wrestling fan would do something like that. If you have the, the yeah. basic concept of how a match ends, but there were also moments uh, throughout the show where. There were things were done like a lot of missed spots, uh, things like um, the camera being focused on guys waiting outside the ring when there was action inside the ring. Like, um, yeah, so that they missed missed some dives like and and that that happens on regular broadcast. But I mean, it was just kind of compounded like there were some but i mean yeah yeah, strange stuff so you know for all the flack that i think somebody like a kevin dunn gets i mean that there's a lot that they do right that uh you know goes kind of unapplauded because wrestling needs to be directed by wrestling fans so after liger has hit him with he's tried to hit him with a top rope hurricane and rana brain busters he's digging down deep way He's 53 years old, for Christ's sake. Yeah, it's time to get serious. He goes for the shote. And he misses the first one. And then he hits the second one. And Will Ospreay, God bless this guy, he sold this like a tornado had just usurped the Walter Pyramid. And he was thrust by this hurricane and sold this shote tremendously. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. You can, you can count on Will Osprey to make that move look incredible. Yeah. He survives the Shote from death, and then Osprey hits Liger with a Liger bomb, and part of me wanted this to be the finish, but Liger kicked out of his own move, series of kicks from Osprey, and then hits the Os cutter for the win. 10 minutes, 36 seconds. I really enjoyed this match. It was a lot of fun, yeah. I thought it was a you know great showcase for both men. Um, Liger... For 53, hung in there, I thought, really well. Who's going to have the better 53-year-old match uh, in the span of 30 days, Liger or Undertaker? Oh, my God. Is there even a question? Come on. Taker's got John Cena. Yeah, but, yeah, okay, exactly. Uh, Well, who's going to have the better springboard cutter, springboard uh, stunner? Maybe maybe we can get a Shote from the Undertaker. I don't think he does palm thrust anymore. Yeah, no, there's no question, dude. Like, if the show taker, oh man, listen, uh, yeah, like I think this was a better technical match than Ray versus Liger would have been, um, but Ray versus Liger would have had a lot more heat because the star power I think would have been bigger. So, um, yeah, I don't know which one's better. Not sure, but I, I certainly wasn't dissatisfied with this at all. I thought this was a really fun match, so I enjoyed it afterwards. Uh, Osprey bowed down to Liger. Mysterio's applauding him. And then he got on the microphone and said, uh, Osprey uh, gets on the microphone saying that he would be proud if he could wrestle like Liger when he's 53, which, given Osprey and what he does, I don't know if this man will be wrestling at 53. Mm. That would be my educated guess. Yeah. The audience is chanting for Liger. Osprey says he wants to carve out his own legacy. And to do that, he has to go through legends. And he said that he is no one's replacement. And he puts, he wants to put this title on a pedestal, and he challenges Rey Mysterio. And as he's eyeing Rey, Marty Skrull, his nemesis, shows up from behind, nails him with the umbrella. Mysterio attempts to stop Skrull, and Skrull yanks the mask off of Rey and gets chased away by Liger. 
Mysterio puts his mask back on, shakes hands with Liger and Osprey, and in the course of three minutes, they set up so much for this junior heavyweight division in 2018. You've got Osprey and uh, Mysterio at some point. Mm-hmm. You've got Mysterio and Skrull yeah. with like a mask on the line. You've got Osprey and Skrull that you can always go back to. And I would argue you could still insert Liger somewhere in this as well for some kind of final attempt at winning one last title. I just thought they set up so many great things here for the junior heavyweight division. I, I still want to see Liger versus Ray. I mean, despite everything. And they could do it, yeah, 100%. I mean, he was, he was part of this. Like, he wasn't just forgotten about when the match was over. Like, he was involved in the post-match. When is the best of Super Juniors? It's, uh, it's in May, but the whole thing was last year they made it his last best of the Super oh, Juniors. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. And I certainly don't think Rey Mysterio will be entering the best of the Super Juniors. I don't think so. Um, no. So, I, I, <laughs> the thing is, though, I would say... I feel like it's a little tough to do a mask anything with Rey Mysterio because it's no secret what he looks like under there. <laughs> so is there any drama attached to somebody stealing his mask or putting his mask on the line? I don't know. I still think people care. Um, you remember that feud he had with Chris Jericho in 2009. I, I still think Rey's, it's a... Uh, Maybe if he got a new face tattoo and didn't tell anybody about about it, so you know the payoff will be something new. Aren't you curious to see if he still has that baby face from like 19 years ago? Like it's been a long time since you've seen his face. Guarantee you, he still does. Though this is a guy that he's hardly protective of his image. Like this guy will openly take photos without his mask on. So it's a. not the hardest face to find out there, but I, I really liked all of this stuff mm. that they did in, in the post-match afterwards. So the junior heavyweight stuff on this show was a home run for me. Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii versus Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. And man, Minoru Suzuki coming out was an incredible reaction. Mm-hmm. I knew it would be big, but it was deafening. When they when they hit the uh, the big spot of his theme song... Man, this place was unglued. It was so... Sorry. No, that's all. It was so cool to see the crowd clap along to the song as well, like a Japanese crowd would. So uh, that certainly was one of the highlights when I went to see uh, New Japan this uh, uh, in December. Or was it in November? I I don't remember. Maybe October. Jesus, I don't know. Sometime during the last half year was Minoru Suzuki's entrance and... uh, Clearly, it's uh, it's a big part of everybody's experience. I thought this was a great tag match. They set up a lot. Uh, of course, next weekend is Okada versus Zack Sabre Jr. And all four go to the floor. Suzuki's using a chair on Ishii, and then Sabre wrapped Okada's arm around the steel barricade, and he worked on the arm throughout the match to eliminate uh, the Rainmaker here. The crowd is dueling, chanting, Fuck you, Sabre. Let's go, Sabre. And Zach just responds with the middle finger to all these assholes out there. Ishii is getting beaten down for a long time. Suzuki uh, worked a knee bar on him until he hit this desperation German uh, to break free and tag in Okada. Uh, Later, Saber and Suzuki uh, continue to work the arm of Okada. Ishii comes in and attacks Suzuki with chops. They scream at each other. And you just sit back and are just watching these guys just wail on one another. Ishii invites him to hit him, and they just take turns. The audience goes completely silent, and they blast one another with forearm strikes. And Ishii is staggering 
like nobody else can can sell concussive mm-hmm. blows like Ishii can. Yeah, really good. Uh, Saber came in. Ishii blocked a PK, head butted him. Then Okada entered. They double teamed Saber, including Ishii hitting a sliding D. But Suzuki made the save, and then Ishii chops down on Saber's knee. Suzuki grabs Okada into the corner, ties him up uh, with like the stunt puller uh, submission, and then Saber ties up Ishii, bending back on the leg and arm as the referee calls for the finish at 19 minutes and 56 seconds. Uh, So Zack Saber Jr. submits Ishii going into the Okada title match next Sunday at Sumo Hall. I thought this was a great, great tag match. I really enjoyed it too. I think they're doing a great job making this uh, Sabre versus Okada match feel like it's a big deal. Um, and even to like this North American audience, you can tell a lot of them have been following the New Japan Cup because everybody also seemed to seem to look at Sabre and Okada as a big pairing. Um, maybe uh, a bit of a cause for concern is that, you know, despite Okada winning with the Cobra Clutch a lot recently, when he pulled it out tonight, it had no reaction as usual. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know how much that'll play into their match coming up. But uh, nonetheless, like Saber definitely feels like a big star uh, at this point. Do you see any potential of a title change, even a minuscule one? I don't No. Yeah, I think that it's I guess like you could. No way. Part of, part of me sees like this title reign is so big mm-hmm. that when they do the title change, it's going to be something unexpected, and that's the o- that's the only reason I could see. It. And I don't see it being this one, but I yeah. could see that being Gato's uh, card to play at some point, where everyone assumes it's Omega or it's Naito winning it, and instead it's a golden opportunity to just surprise people with something totally different. And if you were going to end it, you end it before he beats the record. What? Yeah, I don't know. That's a different conversation. But I, I mean, I in the end, do you see somebody like Zack Saber Jr. leading the company? Because I, I have a hard time. You know, no, I, I, I would not be doing the title change. I, I think that it's like as much as Zach, um, like I think that this has been a career crossroads for him over the past two weeks of where he is now. He's in a phenomenal spot. You did see on tonight's show. Like, he is not in that top elite level, at least to this crowd, he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, Still very very strong. I think a lot of people are into that match. Um, But there is still a big distance between where Zack Sabre Jr. is and where your Tanahashi, Naito, Okadas are. But again, like, he's much less of of a novelty to to this audience than, you know, uh, somebody like a Naito or Tanahashi. Mm Mm-hmm. So afterwards, they continued their attack. Uh, Saber applied the uh, the octopus submission to Okada, played to the crowd, and then they made the announcement that they will be returning Saturday, July the seventh, at the Cow Palace in San Francisco, California, uh, which is the same night as uh, the UFC's International Fight Week card, which is happening in Las Vegas that night. Jeez, how do you choose? Uh, well, what for do you? Some, which they, one are you? Gonna, yeah, I mean, you'll be watching both. Yeah. I will be watching both. If if they had booked the Cow Palace for the Friday night, I would seriously contemplate going. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I would I, I I would totally go to that Friday and then the UFC card Saturday night. But with both of them on the same night, I, those places are, aren't that close though. You'd have to fly, I think. 
from San Francisco to Vegas? Yeah, but how yeah. long's the flight? Uh, I don't know. Probably short, but it just feels like a hassle. Anyway, um, it's an option, I suppose. I'm sure because International Fight Week will have other fights besides a main event. Then we had the United States title match between Jay White and Hangman Page. Sorry, sorry. And before we move on, what's the capacity of the uh, Cow Palace? I believe it's about 11,000, give or take. Okay. Wow. So it's, it's like more than double the size of this venue they ran on, on Saturday or on Sunday night. Do you think like this was always in the works or, or do you think like anything that, that any of the response to All In has helped like them go ahead with a move like this? I think that the response to this show is yeah. the reason they're going for this. I don't think right. All In has much to do with it. I just feel they, um, they, I think they were probably overwhelmed by this response. Um, the fact that they sold out as quickly. Um, and what do you think? I think I think they're going to do really well at the Cow Palace, mm-hmm. given it's it's July. Um, I, I think you're going to get a ton of people traveling. Like the fact they did it this close to WrestleMania, I think all bets are off uh, yeah. when it comes to. Um, being pessimistic on people spending a lot of money and traveling to New Japan. Like, it clearly, it does not matter when you run it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. So, I... It's not going to shock me if they if they fill this place. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think easy, they're going to do eight to 9,000. Easy. Jay White, Hangman Page. During the introductions, the loudest reaction was reserved for red shoes, which is maybe a bad sign at the start of this. I'm very conflicted on this match way because if if you watch this on mute, I think you'd really like these guys worked like so damn hard in this match. They were doing incredible stuff and it was just so late in the show. The audience, like let's be honest, Jay White and Hangman Page, they are just they are not very defined characters. They're not stars to the people and I mean, you watch more of being the elite than me, but it's like can you say a whole lot about the Hangman Page character? Like he is not. No, he's he, pretty. He's he's gotten really good. Like I think I would say like earlier on he's he was uh, he was certainly like the quiet one. But like I would say over the last year he's really kind of blossomed, like to the point where I certainly feel like he 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 is. You know, I I, I know more about him than I do Jay White. Um, nonetheless, though, this was a tough spot for both of these two because this was the co-main event. And to follow all the star power that had just preceded him and guys like Minoru Suzuki and, and Tetsuya Naito is is definitely a tough spot. Which is a trait of New Japan of throwing guys into the deep end and seeing how they perform in those situations. And I think there was just there was too much mm-hmm. to overcome here. And second of all, I mean, this match was set up where like Hangman Page is like Cody's lackey. And he was the one who you know, stood up to Jay White after the Omega loss. So it's like he's kind of viewed as like Cody's guy in all of this. And Jay White is like presented as a heel as well. Like it's you don't have an overwhelming uh, baby face in this scenario either. Uh, couple I, that with 25 minutes. Like there's just there's I, just a lot going against them. I certainly feel like Hangman was was the baby face here simply because of the the association with the Bullet Club and everything. Um like I, I didn't feel like the audience hated him at all. No, they, and they got into him, especially down the end when he was doing a, a lot of spectacular stuff as well. But I don't know about you. I, I got the sense that maybe White was hurt here. 
I'm not sure because he was holding his back a lot and it felt like Adam Page was doing really like the bulk of the work here. And I he mean, was. yeah. And I wonder if there's a reason for that because otherwise I feel like this match would have been a lot more even, but like all the big bumps were like from Adam Page and a lot of like the fire was from Adam Page, whereas I feel like Jay yes. White was just trying to keep up. And I, I have to wonder what the reason was for that. It was very noticeable, like the lack of fire out of Jay White, especially for such a big match as well. So mm-hmm. you might be onto something there. Uh, like the early onset, you just had the the pace was you could feel this one was going to be going long. Yeah. Uh, White attempted a blade runner, which is his finish off the apron to the floor, which Page blocked. And he hit a flatliner on the edge of the apron, uh, White did, and then hit this insane release German where Page flipped all the way over and, like, connected with, like, the side of the apron and nearly broke his neck here. Yeah, I know. I got really nervous. Oh, my God. Like, if he had made... Thank goodness he didn't make contact with the apron because I feel like if he did, that would have been worse. Like, there was no room between here like this was just he got thrown and we'll see where i land that was the kind of throw this guy took um page then hit a spinning neck breaker from the top turnbuckle white kicked out of that and then he's constantly going for the blade runner onto page and page landed that shooting star shoulder block from the apron to the floor followed with a top rope moonsault to the floor just going all out he was was, working his ass off man yeah he was doing a ton by the end here and it did work like the crowd once he hit the slingshot lariat um that he always hits the crowd bought into that near fall and i think at that point they could sense the finish was near and it was like the Mm -hmm. on switch was hit on this crowd uh white uh, kicked out, or he hit the Kiwi Crusher, kicked out of that. Page then stopped the Blade Runner, went for the rites of passage, and it was countered with the Blade Runner, and White won 25 minutes and retains the United States title. Um, yeah, just unfortunate position for these two because in New Japan, they don't have kind of the flexibility in their mindset of putting mm-hmm. a title match on early in the show, and these guys would have benefited from being first or second out and just be in front of a hot crowd and go a fraction of the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, this was, I think, a point in the show where I wasn't sure if the crowd was just being polite or if they were bored. Uh, but, I mean, hearing Mouth and Mike, I mean, it was clear people were pretty exhausted for a lengthy match of this type mm-hmm. with two guys that aren't nearly as over with as a lot of the stars that preceded them. Fighting over a title, let's be honest, that, that nobody really cares about. You know? No. This, this U.S. championship. Um, the match, And for, for whatever you want to say... Of like, look at what Z- granted Zack Saber Jr. It was like kind of you know he got much bigger of a push in this New Japan Cup, but nonetheless, Jay White pinned Kenny Omega, and mm. like look where this guy yeah. is. Like this, this has not been a successful launch of this character, and he you can't say they have not given him ample opportunity either mm. hangman page to me stood out more in this match significantly yeah i agree i'd like to know what what's up with jay white if there was anything more to you know his performance here uh he felt kind of below standard here whereas i think hangman page felt like he had to compensate for the both of them so i felt like certainly the crowd wanted to get into this they were supportive but by the end um you know they reacted for a lot of near falls but eh. I would say overall, maybe this match didn't live up to the the billing. And then after the match, David Finley showed up to spear White. Uh, These two came up in the New Japan Dojo together. 
So they've always been linked that way. And he cut a promo stating that he'll never be done fighting him. And he challenges him to a U.S. title match April 24th at Corcoran Hall. Which I presume they're going to headline. Uh, that's, uh, it's, it's one of those road to shows. So uh, going into the Dantaku cards uh, in May. So that will be a month from now. And I mean, if there's one thing you want to criticize way on this show is that like, I'm sure within the next 24 hours, they're going to release the full card for Sakura Genesis on Sunday, but I don't know what we're going to see on Sunday. Mm. Like, like the stuff they teased was for longer down the road, like all the junior heavyweight stuff, uh, this with Jay White and Finley, like all I can imagine is like Goto and Juice Robinson will be added, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what else is going to uh, make up this show on Sunday. Uh, maybe like uh, something with the junior tags with the three K versus uh, Lij and and uh, they, they have announced that there is a three way. Yeah. There is um, Suzuki Gun. Yeah, uh, Desperado and Kenamaro are defending in a three way tag. Yeah, but but it'll probably be like this show where they'll announce the card like five days prior. How, like I don't even know when I forget when they announced this one. Well, this we didn't learn till uh, was it Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday Wednesday night they announced yeah. the did the lion share. Did it make a card. difference? Not really, right? You know, we'll we'll still watch. Yeah. So main event time. Uh, I mean, this was I, I think that was the other thing is like you put on such a long match like the U.S. title match. They just want to get to the main event, and yeah. once you got there, this crowd was just electric. Mm. The Young Bucks versus Kenny Omega, Kotobushi. Matt and Nick, they come out and they have weightlifting belts with their names on them, just like Hollywood Hogan. Matt, and does. If, Matt does. Did Nick not have one as well? No, he didn't wear one. Matt was wearing it because of his back injury. Yeah, I, I understood that. I, th- I thought Nick had one too. Anyway. Not during the uh, match, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the match begins. Place is buzzing. And at first, Matt wants Omega to start the match with him. And early in the match, they go to Matt's previously injured back with Ibushi landing a kick to it. And Omega wants Ibushi to stop. And he goes to check on Matt. And in a playoff of the Sapporo angle, this time it's Matt that shoves Omega down with the role reversal. Hmm. Omega let, then... Let, let, before we even set up, like, let's, let's just talk about how, like, this really was, like... I didn't expect this level of like acting to be involved in the match itself. You know, I, I expected just a bunch of like moves and then maybe towards the finish you would get some storytelling aspects, but the storytelling was throughout the entire thing from the beginning. Oh, that's what you'll remember from this. Yeah. I mean that was that was front and center on this was like telling this story that I think is relatable to a lot of people of like yes. fighting with your friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to hurt my friend, but when we disagree on something and when it escalates, we eventually end up in a war. You super kick the shit out of them. Yeah. Omega called for the Terminator dive and Nick stopped him with a super kick and Matt's continually uh, selling his back here and Omega and Abushi double team Matt with Omega hitting this rolling fireman's carry and then followed with a moonsault off the second rope, but Matt was out too far. So Omega just nailed this guy with his knees. And that was only midway through this several act sequence with Abushi following with his own moonsault. And poor I'm, Matt here. He had to he had to go like another thirty minutes after this. I'm already lost. 
at like at one point <laughs> in the match you're at because there's so many moons. Oh, I know, I know. So I'm not gonna go through everything here. I'm gonna <laughs> just mention the important stuff. There was one spot where the Bucks climbed up the turnbuckle and they teased delivering a golden shower yeah. to Omega. This the was ultimate humiliation. Yeah, this was a moment where like I wish Josh and JR were able to to uh recognize. And they did. <laughs> Sorry, I I, I can't <laughs> did, did they identify it? They didn't identify it there. Uh it wasn't until later when uh I'm just picturing Josh Barnett explaining the golden wow. shower. JR did call the golden shower uh the second time when when uh Kenny and, and Coda were going for it. So he clearly had notes for it. And right. yes, JR does say golden showers on TV. Uh oh, but this tease for it with with the Bucks he didn't he didn't recognize. Uh Nick set up a table between the apron and the barricade which uh is a great part of like the buck psychology is planting a weapon and just leaving it there for a while mm. so it's in the back of your head and you know it's going to be death mm. later on in the match. Um Omega lifted up Matt on the apron and he teased the one-winged angel through the table which mm. I don't care how mad I am. I I think that's a step too far. So before that when Matt grabbed the table, Nick was tell, trying to tell Matt, hey, this is just a match. We don't have to go this far. But then when Kenny does all that stuff, Nick is like, fuck this guy. Let's use this table. So as he's got Matt on the shoulders for the one-winged angel, Abushi leaps up to the top rope, takes Matt off of Omega's shoulders for a power German into the ring and mm. just dumps him on his neck. Yeah, it was insane. Oh God. Yeah. Abushi then goes for the Kamagoye to Matt, where he grabs his wrists. What happened next? I don't know. They cut away. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I know. And again, like if you don't recognize these moves, you're not gonna recognize the the cameras. Like you're not gonna know what's important in the match. So Maybe the director thought he was just lifting him up by his wrists. Yeah. Yeah, what can anyway. you do? Anyway, the, the, the director did, instead decided to focus on the stuff outside of the ring than, you know, the dude's finisher in the, in I am, the ring. I am going to give whoever this director is uh, credit on one uh, particular shot, and that was when Omega is striking Matt's face, and they're they're in really tight on the two of them. And then all of a sudden, this foot enters and super kicks Omega in the face. That you don't see coming at all. So that part was good. So much of that, though, is like just chance. I'm trying to give the guy some credit <laughs> here, okay? For Christ's sake. Okay. I'm trying to be even-handed yeah, here in my fine, analysis. Fine, fine. Okay. And you're just shitting on the guy. Oh. Uh, yeah. uh, Matt removes his weightlifting belt, and he starts whipping Omega. Then Omega takes the belt, but he'll throw it away. He's willing to put this guy through a table with a one-winged angel, but the weightlifting belt, that's, that's the third rail can't touch that one uh matt's back is fried he can't lift up omega for the Meltzer driver so nick has to help him lift up omega into position and basically just stand there holding this guy can i just say i hope matt jackson's back never recovers because <laughs> this dude is just so much better like he's so good at selling his his back and it makes all these matches so much more dramatic he and he's excellent at it. Like, I I never knew this guy was was like like such a good actor. 
and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even talking about like selling the back. I'm talking about his like his facial expressions, his yelling at Kenny throughout the the, the body of the match. He just like. It's all his offense as well that is affected by his back, which that's my criticism when I watch Seth Rollins, who he's just such an incredible athlete that he can't help himself doing all these crazy spots when he's trying to sell a knee injury. And with Matt, it's the same thing. He's got all this offense, but it's like everything is going to be affected now by this back and everything registers that he does that affects his back, Mm -hmm. including lifting a guy. Yeah. Yeah. So... Omega lifts up uh, Matt, and they end up hitting their own indie taker for a near fall on Matt. Um, this is after they stop the, the Meltzer driver. Abushi then tells Omega to finish Matt. He points at him and says, kill him. And he hits the V-trigger, goes for the one-winged angel, and he hesitates. And Matt tells him, do it. And he hits the one-winged angel, and Nick makes this dramatic save. And this crowd is losing it. So, okay, even before that, um, this was the the, the one-winged angel on on Matt, right? Yes. Okay, um, did you notice when Matt made Kenny put him in the one-winged angel? Yes. Like, that to me was the scene that stood out. That, like, every, so many of these, like, Kenny Omega matches have like a scene that stands out and like one of them like to me the the biggest takeaway from that okada omega feud was when uh okada went for the goes for the rainmaker and kenny just passes out and ducks it unintentionally because Mm -hmm. he passes out like i'll always remember that image and for me in this match it was the image of matt jackson making a very distressed uh indecisive kenny omega Put himself into the one winged angel. I I mean, oh, that was just like such. That was beautiful. That was poetry. Yeah, this was like the equivalent of the of the Sean, guy. Sean and Rick. Sean and yeah. Claire. Yeah, I was gonna go for the more graphic uh, of telling the the shooter to to pull the trigger. Yeah, and that's that was pretty much what he was doing here. Yeah. Abushi takes out Nick with a half Nelson suplex, so he's out of the match to the floor. And they lift Matt and hit the golden trigger, which the camera caught. And they both climb on top. And the match ends at 39 minutes and 23 seconds. Mm. A work of art. Oh, really? Seriously. Like, it's so rare that, like, I get this emotional from a professional wrestling match. All that fake stuff, that kid's stupid fake fighting stuff. No way. I was near tears. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to admit it. Like, this was for some reason this impactful for me like they just did such a good job of telling a story of a man having to choose between his new best friend and his old best friends and and having the toughest time in the world doing it and man did they fucking nail it it was it was amazing um i'll say like i don't know how the finish came across to you john but to me like i thought this was a moment where jr really needed to shine like in the in that final moment when the two of them hit the golden trigger and JR didn't deliver. Like, if this was J- was JR in his prime, you know, if he had fought, if he knew this product as well as he as he knew Austin versus McMahon, he would have like dialed it up to twelve. This would have been like the biggest storytelling moment. Oh my God, he's finally hit his best friend. Blah 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 blah. But instead, like he kind of spent that moment explaining, oh, that's the golden trigger, their new move, and that was it. 
that was the only call you got from JR, unfortunately. So I, I was a little disappointed there. Well, I, I've of late been watching the Japanese commentary, like throughout the New Japan Cup, and it's just, I don't know, it's just, it is my favorite way to watch. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know what the hell they were saying at the end, but man, was I moved by it. You almost don't need to, because it's like, like, like Mouth said, you don't need commentary for this. You almost just want ambience. You want a guy shouting at the level that matches what's going on in the ring. And I think that's, at the very least, that's what I look for from a commentator. Um, I didn't get that. So I agree with you. I, I, like, for me, I think it's always nice to listen to something you understand, because there are a lot of nuances in a story that you might not get if you're listening to the Japanese but once you know the product and once you can identify a lot of these these things yourself, I, 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 I feel like maybe the best way is to just switch to the Japanese just to, to capture the ambience. After the match, Cody comes down and you have just watched this incredible 40 minute play yeah. in front of you. And these men have nothing. They're done. They are, are physically and mentally wrecked. And Cody comes out and is just yelling at the Bucks. And he pie faces Nick down to the mat. And Kenny Omega run, runs back down, chases Cody away, and doesn't get his hands on Cody. You got to wait two weeks for that. Omega offers his hand to both of the Bucks. Nick shakes it, hugs Omega, but Matt won't do it. He leaves. And Omega then addresses the audience. Um, this was just, uh, it was just r- so well done. I, it, again, it's just like, it's so amazing that we don't have more moments like this in our watching of professional wrestling. Like, to know that this is what wrestling is capable of, I feel like, shouldn't we be seeing this all the time now? But, uh, you know, it's it's still rare to see, like, great storytelling like this. And again, uh, Matt Jackson, to me, stole the show. Like, his acting, his selling, his just everything. I thought he... Like, if there were, if there was an Oscars for, like, Best Supporting Actor in Professional Wrestling, like, to me, this was definitely a nominated performance. Maybe probably a winning performance. Yeah, he was he was so great. And again, Cody, Cody is fantastic, too. Like, he is the perfect foil for Kenny Omega. So, man, great job all around. Everyone was great in their roles, and they you even go off the air with like this this weird crossroads that Matt and Nick are at as well mm-hmm. sure. like one guy has buried the hatchet with the enemy and again let's just like let's put into perspective here like this story was crafted by these guys, yes like it was Nick, it was Matt, it was Cody, it was Kenny. Like, they wrote this. They shot the scenes themselves behind the scenes explaining this breakup. They're writing it all. They made the match. This was all them. So credit where credit is due. They made some amazing professional wrestling. So it ended with Omega addressing the audience. He says, it's a sad world when friends have to go to war, and sometimes there are casualties. He said that the Golden Lovers are here to stay. New Japan is coming back. And then casually works in the fact that he might have a broken orbital bone. It definitely looks swollen, like his cheek. That would be an enormous problem. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) if that guy has a broken orbital bone. Let's just hope it's swelling. So 
fantastic show. I thought this was a tremendous, tremendous show. Um, Did you like it more than last year's G1 special? Um, I, I think the main event was better than mm, probably most of what... Eh, eh, hard to say. I have to go back to, to rewatch that. Yeah, the, the Omega Ishii match. I yeah. mean... Omega and Elgin. Uh, it's, a, Ome- it's, a, it's a different type of match, this one. This one had so much more, like, story attached to oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, I think I'd lean towards this match just because of the overall story it produced. Um, I'd, I'd probably have to go revisit those first two Long Beach shows, but I, I feel this one was the strongest. As I said, like, I, I don't know if there's going to be a card uh, in New Orleans that will, will top this. And if there is, I'm definitely looking forward to watching that show mm-hmm. because this is... Um, this was an incredible card, I thought. And again, up until the main event, like I wouldn't even say any of them were, you know, your match of the year contenders, but it was just a really fun show to watch. I thought the audience was, it was into all of the stars. It was just a really great presentation. And then you had that main event to cap it off, which just to me, put this at another level. Mm-hmm. So a very good show. Um, we are now going to go over to our feedback Mainly for the only curiosity I had tonight was how high can we get a, a rating oh, for okay. tonight's show? Yeah, I'd love to know, too. This was a big show, way, so it yeah. was a 1 one to 20. Okay. Okay. What What is your guess? Ooh, uh, 1 to 20. I'm going to say 17. 17. Fuck it. I'm going 18, okay? Okay. Oh. A 16. Well. Damn. This yeah, audience I mean, is that, tough. That's, a, that's about right. 16 is very solid, though. Yeah, very, yeah. very solid. Yeah, okay, solid. Let, let's go through a, a few. Wow, we did get a fair amount of feedback here. Okay, uh, we start off with Joe from H-Town. Too many tag matches. Not a fan of Page or White. White almost ended Page's career. That was scary. The main event, though, was freaking awesome. So many spots, nonstop action. That was a work of art by four masters. Call from the UK. I saw Jim Ross and Josh Barnett during the start of the show getting berated on Twitter by fans, and I could kind of see the criticism. The commentary was too hokey, but I thought with that being said, by the time the main event came around, they got serious, and Jim was as good as he is all he always was when calling a big match main event. So Jericho versus Naito July 7th at the Cow Palace, or can they save that match for the following Wrestle Kingdom? What, what, what do you know about the status of Chris Jericho in New Japan Pro Wrestling? Um, just that I think everyone's expecting it for... I would put that... At Dominion, myself. Versus a, an American show. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I just find that I would be somewhat surprised if Jericho would do a U.S. show for New Japan. I think he views this as, like, there is that line in the sand that he isn't going to cross with WWE, and working in the U.S. is that line. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's better served for a card like Dominion. I think you could do... Like Long Beach, uh, Long Beach, San Francisco, I think is going to do tremendous um, without Chris Jericho. And if you have Rey Mysterio on that card with Will Ospreay, that's a pretty big match. And you're going to have whatever involvement you have with the Bucks and Omega and Cody that um, I think you can get away with um, not having Chris Jericho on that card. So if I was placing everything together, Dominion would be the show I would put Jericho and Naito on. It's kind of strange, though, because, I, I mean, I don't see there that being dig- that big of a difference between, you know, a, a Japanese New Japan show or a San Francisco New, New Japan show in terms of being competition. I would say they're both equal for helping New Japan. 
you know do you think there there could be any any point where like wwe would say hey cut that new japan stuff out even if it was in japan um i don't think so i feel that jericho's at this point right now where i think i think he genuinely had a an incredible time doing this that he can kind of call his shots and i don't think he's i think the wwe knows that he's willing to come back and and do his his mini runs with them as well that I don't think they're counting on him either to to be back as you know a full time guy either. At the Nor do time. they really need him. I mean, you know, they could always use Chris Jericho, but it's it's not like they're, you know, especially like looking at like how stacked a WrestleMania is, for instance. They're not necessarily hurting for talent. Okay, we got Anthony from L.A. who says, I posted this in another thread for sorry. I had a lot of fun waiting in line. Oh, he attended. Okay. I had a lot of fun waiting in line talking to other fans, and I even got interviewed by Kevin Kelly. The night started hot, but we were a little worked down by the fifth tag match. Then Ray came out, and everybody woke back up. Suzuki and Zack were awesome together. I love when they do duo submissions, especially on refs. Hangman Page sold a suplex off the apron by landing on his feet as though he countered the move, and they replayed it. Lovers versus Bucks... Where Tress tra- was transcendent is what he meant to type. Okay. Next up is Sean from Toronto. As someone who has been watching since Wrestle Kingdom, it was neat to finally watch New Japan live at a decent hour, even though I was fighting sleep towards the end. It was really jarring to me listening to the commentary team of Jim Ross and Josh Barnett after getting used to Kevin Kelly and Don Callis. Their absence, particularly Callis, was most noticeable during the Golden Lovers Young Bucks main event. Overall, it was a decent enough card, though the main event was the only match I'll probably end up remembering. It was sort of funny that the biggest error was made, not by Jim Ross, but the ring announcer who called Jay White the IWGP heavyweight champion for getting to add the U.S. We go to Jerry, who says, What a show. For the most part, the fans were awesome, except one guy who tried to start a Roman Reigns chant. Only downfall was that there was only one beer line. That took forever. Wow. So, one one entry into the building and then one beer line. They do have to work on their logistics for some of these... Mm. Arenas, and if what Mouth was saying was that they had limited merchandise, like man, you're leaving so much on the table. Well, I know Pro Wrestling Tees was there. I, like I know the people, I, I know Ryan was there from Pro Wrestling Tees, but I mean, yeah, I imagine they would have helped like stock, but I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't say. Next up, what a show! The negatives are very brief for me. Jr. wasn't doing it for me on commentary, and I'd have, prefer, I'd have preferred either Kelly, Callis, or even Japanese commentary for the event. And I had some issues with camera work and production, most noticeably, constantly feeling overly low outside of hard cam shots. As for the show itself, I enjoyed every single match, helped by a hot crowd, and found the opening tag bouts to all do a great job of heating up the main event with everybody involved looking great. I thought the opening to the club versus club match was a fine piece of mic work to get us all invested in an otherwise nothing match and the White versus Page was a well-paced slowdown match, spacing the excellent Sabre Suzuki versus Okada Ishii match, which helped enormously by the crowd, was a solid title defense, which, while lacking the build and excitement of the other top matches on the card, still held its head high among extraordinary peers. Jay White, wearing just a little stubble, helped his look as well. All right, we go to Andrew from St. John. I like the whole show, but the undercard didn't hold attention as well as the key matches like the Golden Lovers versus Bucks and Okada Ishii versus Zack Sabre Jr. and Suzuki. Amazing main event that blended big spots with storytelling that kept me in a glass cage of emotion. Ex- wow, that's what a, what a great line. Excited to see how the story is continued at Supercard of Honor. 
Next up here, we've got uh, New Japan felt a little unprepared, to be honest. The entrances felt like core Q and hall entrances with lower audio, and the transitions between matches were awkward. They also had unprepared Jim Ross on commentary instead of Kevin Kelly, who should be on all the English broadcasts due to him being so entrenched. Luckily, all the big matches and stars delivered. I hope for the Cow Palace show they treated as a pay-per-view in terms of card structure, production, and build-up. We go to the, the genius who says, Typical New Japan show with lots of low-stakes multi-man matches on the under, undercard. I enjoyed the drama between Cody and Marty and the Tongans, and the main event was unbelievable storytelling in action. It's honestly a match-of-the-year contender and told the best story within one match in quite a long time. I'm looking forward to the show next weekend and hoping Kenny's face injury won't affect his match versus Cody on Mania Weekend. MJ, not too proud to admit I was crying with joy watching these guys pour their souls into that match. I appreciate the stories they've told the past few months so much that they are the epitome of wrestling. Okay, he goes well, I'm through. glad I wasn't the only one. Yes. Uh, he's, he adds here, Josh and JR don't work, live en- don't work live enough, and it shows. They also do not give New Japan the best chance for success here. I can't help feel access is trying too hard to appeal to an audience that isn't tuning in for JR anymore. It's hard enough to find this channel in places like New York City, so I do not buy the idea a casual wrestling fan might hear JR and stay watching. Instead, why not use the English-speaking regulars who are known to wrestling fans and can best position the wrestlers and the product for success with the U.S. fans who are seeking it out? If New Japan is successful, it will be because of tours, not TV, so use TV to produce the best possible show. Mispronouncing names of key guys and not being prepared with names of moves is what gives crossover fans the ammo to call it minor league. Kevin Kelly is doing as much as he can for this product, and he needs to be its English voice on world and access. We go to finally Lewis, who says, I was at this show. A lot of feedback from the show. I'm really happy that that all Mm -hmm. you guys are, are deciding to write in. I was at this show. The atmosphere was great from the start. I'm pretty sure none of the early matches were anything to write home about, and the energy in the stadium was fantastic throughout. The crowd really loved Toriano and went absolutely insane when he took off the ring corner. Cody and Marty played the crowd incredibly well, and the handoff between them switching from cheers to boos was excellent. Outside of the main event, Naito was the biggest star here. The place exploded when he came out and kept up the energy whenever he was in the match. The Jay White Hangman match started off fairly slow, but towards the end with all the big moves, the crowd really got into it. The problem is no one really had anyone to cheer for. It was essentially two heels with fairly little personality going against each other. The main event was everything I could have asked for. 40-plus minutes of high-intensity tag team wrestling from two of the best in the business. My voice is hoarse, and I'm incredibly tired, but this was the best live show I've ever been to. 20 golden triggers out of 20. Wow. So a lot of people leaving uh, very satisfied with Strong Style Evolved from Sunday night. Okay, that's going to wrap up the show. I do want to thank Dan Lebransky. And Mike Murray for joining us earlier in the show from Long Beach. Uh, Way, we will be back on Monday night chatting raw. Yes, yes, yes. Um, bit of an adjustment in style, but I mean, I think raw has things to look forward to as well. Uh, two weeks out from WrestleMania, we'll see uh, what what more they will do. What are the main st- stories? I'm trying to think right now. Do you want to know a, a uh, trivia note for Monday's Raw? Sure. Monday is the 17th anniversary of the final episode of Monday Nitro, and they Raw is coming from the exact same arena where Raw was that night in 2001 in Cleveland. Wow. Amazing. Where we had the simulcast. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. 
And here we are 17 years later, and Shane is still in an authority role. Mm-hmm. And I guess Vince is not, or he somewhat is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's coming up Monday night. We're going to chat about Raw. What do we have on Raw? We've got uh, Brock Lesnar is supposed to be on Raw. Some follow-up from the Ultimate Deletion. Yes. Uh, is Ronda going to be there? Ronda is listed on the, the website again. So it could be one of those segments like we saw last week where it's only for the live crowd. Mm-hmm. They haven't right. announced anything with her. Right. All right. So that's going to wrap it up, folks. You can go to postwrestling.com. And uh, coming up this week, we are going to have uh, two bonus shows including next Sunday night when we and uh, myself and Wei will be back to review Sakura Genesis uh, for our members of the post-wrestling cafe uh, with, Sh- uh, I was going to say Shibata. That was last year's show uh, with Okada and Zack Sabre Jr. happening yeah. next Sunday. At we typically Hall. do our uh, New Japan reviews as part of our Patreon. So uh, if you want to hear more New Japan talk, do check that out as well uh, as John's show with WH, which uh, are you any closer to finding a name for that show? We are not. Oh, you don't like any of the submissions so far? Well, we haven't we haven't made a decision yet. Oh, okay, so okay, okay. you can still send them in. Uh, we have a thread up at the forum that you can submit them or tweet them at us. Though I prefer the thread actually on the forum. It's much easier to keep track of than Twitter. Okay. Cool. So there you go. Name our show, folks. We're looking for anything. Uh, so there you go. Postwrestlingcafe.com. Sign up now and you'll get two bonus shows coming up this week. Friday, we've got Ask Away where you can ask us anything you'd like. Uh, But that is it. It is very late. I'm going to sleep. Goodbye.